Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Courtney Emmerich. And I'm Donnell Wright. Today's guests are Jody Cresswell. She's an environmental planning chief. Carrie Houck, chief of engineering, both from St. Paul District. And Erica Thomas, who is a mechanical engineer from the Memphis District. So I just want to thank you all for joining us today. For today's episode, we are continuing our series on diversity, equality, and inclusion with a candid discussion on women's equality. However, before we get started, we want to know a little bit more about our guests. So, Jody, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work for the Corps of Engineers. Thanks, Danelle. I have been with the Corps for 30 years now. I started as a natural resources park ranger working out at Sailorville Lake in central Iowa. Came into the district after graduating. I've worked in uh, environmental compliance. I have worked also in our plan formulation group, working on a lot of ecosystem restoration projects on the upper Mississippi River. I worked with division for a while as the Ecosystem Restoration Planning Center of Expertise Operational Director and did some time at headquarters as well with the planning community at practice. And I was happy to come back to Iowa and serve as the Environmental Planning Branch Chief. So I supervise folks that are doing compliance and restoration work um, in St. Paul, Rock Island, and St. Louis. Wow, wow, thank you, thank you. Carrie, what about you? Thanks, Darnell. I, I think I'll start by saying you gave me a little bit of a promotion in the introduction. I'm not actually the Chief of Engineering Construction Division. I'm the Chief of Hydraulics and Hydrology Branch. Uh, and new to that position within about a month. <laughs> Subliminal, I'm trying to make it happen for you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, I appreciate it. Um, I started at the Corps in St. Paul District when I was in graduate school and have been in H&H branch ever since, uh, working my way up starting as a student, moving into an engineering position. Uh, about seven years ago, I became the chief hydraulic design section and about, see, I guess it was about a month and a half ago, I was selected as the H&H branch chief. So all total, that comes to about 23 years, all in St. Paul District. Wonderful, congratulations. All right, what about you, Erica? Well, I come to USA from actually a field of community development. I worked in social service for 20 years. I'm actually coming from a different perspective in terms of that, but I went back to school recently uh, and graduated with a mechanical engineering degree. And the reason I was looking at coming with the Army Corps was because I really wanted to work on large-scale public works projects, infrastructure projects, and I was interested in still wedding my social service background uh, with the work of being an engineer. I think that they can be done together and helping the community. So for me, it was just a continuation of it. Thank you so much to everyone for your introductions. As we start our conversation, I want each of you to think back to when you first started your careers. What was your experience like being a young female trying to find your place in the workplace? Let's start with you, Carrie. Thanks, Courtney. It was kind of an interesting transitionary time, I think. When I, when I left college or as I was, became a senior, 
and was looking for jobs. I attended a session to help females in engineering find find their way and was really, you know, told to sort of hide who I was a little bit. You know, if, if you were going to be married, don't wear your wedding ring, don't bake treats, don't offer to take notes, you know, all of these lists of things I shouldn't do. And so I was pretty, t I was pretty intimidated when I entered the workforce and pretty excited that my experience was 180 degrees from what I was prepared for. Um, my first supervisor was a, a single parent who enjoyed a work-life balance and really was interested in watching people grow and learn. And so um, I came into the workforce pretty intimidated, but had just some excellent first touches with supervisors that really made it a great and positive experience for me. Thanks, Carrie. How about you, Jody? Well, I started as a natural resources park ranger. And so my first year, I learned how to hook up implements, spray pesticide, plant prairie, all that. Then the next winter, I seemed to get all of the inside, write a plan, design a butterfly garden kind of tasks. And I didn't get the plant prairie spray pesticide, which I didn't mind not spraying pesticide <laughs> um, kind of tasks. So that was, that was kind of like the first tip that like, oh, this might be different. And then I came into the district, I got the job in the district office. And, you know, at that point in time, I was, there were two other women in my organization. I still, like most of the meetings that I was in, I was the only woman in those meetings. Um, and it was, you know, I had a degree in animal ecology. The people, you know, my peers were fish and wildlife biologists, which were also mostly male. And so for a long time and still, you know, most of those meetings, I'm, I'm the only person in the room, so it takes a little bit more effort, I think, sometimes to make those connections and feel, you know, comfortable in that group. And so I, I think things have improved a lot. I see a lot more women biologists in our organization, um, so that is promising and helpful. But um, it was pretty intimidating as a young woman in, in the workforce at the time that I joined. Thank you, Jody. Erica, how about you? What have your experiences been early in your career? So early in my career, I'd probably say that I was working in an environment where social service is mostly women. It was not, you know, it wasn't the typical experience of feeling isolated because of the female. I think that for me, the thing that actually uh, stood out more, and this has been over the course of the 20 plus years and now moving into engineering, is just recognizing that um, there was a devaluing of that particular career area. I think that, you know, it's very different to uh, come at this point in probably just a number of years to come into in some a, a circle of people and say, I'm a mechanical engineer. I get a very different type of response than I did when I said I was working in social service. I think that the one is not better than another or more important than another, but I recognize that then there was some level of, you know, this was expected work for women. And as a result, it was not valued, honestly. Uh, and that was reflected in the pay. For me, I think recognizing that part of it, as well as there was not really a push for a change. Uh, I was working with people who were in poverty, just 
really rough times. And I was also working with refugee uh, population. I actually very quickly recognized that even though people had done research in years prior to mine to figure out solutions to problems, that I didn't know if there was really the will to actually make those solutions come to light and fruition. So for me, I think that um, my experience as in social service and now in mechanical engineering, they're very, very different, but I have the opportunity, have had the opportunity, I think, uh, more recently because I'm working mostly, I started out working mostly with men. Actually, it was all men. That was a different experience, but it was one where they seemed to be very open to showing me things if I actually said I didn't understand how to do something. So it's been positive at this particular point. You know, I'm sure that it can be challenging trying to break through quality barriers. And I'm kind of, I'm glad to hear that uh, it's been real positive for you, but I'm curious what challenges, when you guys start thinking about what challenges have you had or faced in progressing to this point in your careers? So, I mean, Eric, if you want to go ahead and uh, expound on what you were, you were saying, I mean, you mentioned some things. Uh, I know there was other challenges, I'm sure. Well, I mean, yeah, for certain, the, the primary challenge I'd say to getting to this point, if I go back to the field of social service, it was a pay, the pay to start with. I was always, and I think I've mentioned this before, one missed paycheck from being the clients I served. <laughs> Basically, that was a reality for me. As a result, I'd have to say I've been very intentional, honestly, in picking mechanical engineering. It's almost embarrassing to some extent that prior to the pandemic, I actually understood that there was not a lot of value placed in my social service work. And so I intentionally did not want to be poor anymore. <laughs> and so as a result, picked mechanical engineering because I knew I had the skill set. I had gone to school prior for engineering but dropped it. And I could do it. It's going to take a lot. But that said, I picked it intentionally for financial reasons as well as, honestly, for status reasons. And that's an, actually, to me, an embarrassing thing to say out loud because, you know, in a certain sense, I guess I had bought into the idea of devaluing what I was doing before. And like I said, uh, the um, pandemic has really brought forward what is essential work. And some of the stuff I was doing before showed itself to be very essential. So. That's it. That's just kind of an answer for that. All right. For me, I think one of the biggest challenges has been, you know, as a working mom, I like struggled to find that right balance uh, with work and home. I hold myself to a pretty high standard. You know, I want to be the best employee. I want to be a good mom. I want to be a good daughter, house manager, friend, all of that. But I know that I can't be the best at everything. And so, I, you know, research shows that like the working moms and women are doing more of that household work, you know, both the physical work and the mental load. Um, and, and it's just a lot, a lot to handle. But, you know, throughout my career, I tried to do the best that I could. And I call it kind of being gentle with myself, you know, recognizing that I can't do everything, but that I'm doing the best I can for today, for this week, for this hour. Um, and that what I'm doing is still good. And so I try and uh, keep that confidence in myself. 
I also have struggled a little bit, um, you know, just in terms of like what my leadership style is. You know, with the core, we have a, a lot of men that has, have historically been our leaders in our organization, um, and that has been a certain style. I've tried to find out, you know, I'm not going to be like a type A guy or or exactly, you know, like our past leaders have been. So I bring, you know, my parenting skills, my skills as, you know, a cheerleader for my friends and for my employees. And so it's a different leadership skill. It's one that fits or a different leadership style that fits me and that fits my employees. And I, it's just taken time to get comfortable with that. I think building off of that, probably the, the biggest challenge that I've had throughout my career is self-confidence, feeling empowered to know that the decisions that I'm making are good and that I, and, and that I have value and a, and a voice that should be heard and, and can bring something to the conversation. And I feel like Jody mentioned work-life balance, and I think there are a lot of people with a lot of opinions about what I should be doing and how I should be approaching things. And so for me, it's finding the confidence to say, you know, that's a, com you know, to quiet those voices and focus on what makes sense to me and, and what makes sense in my situation. And so that's probably been the biggest struggle through my career is finding that empowerment and that confidence to hold my course. I'd agree with you, Carrie. Thanks. This is Erica. I felt the same way. I mean, honestly, after graduating and still, the imposter syndrome is something that <laughs> I'm trying to work through currently. Um, I knew social service like the back of my hand and engineering, it takes a lot of effort on my part to actually feel like I, I got this and can you know, lead something or contribute something. So I agree with you in terms of that. I would also say that honestly, one of the biggest struggles I had initially when I, or challenges when I graduated was accessing the career. Surprisingly, it was really difficult to get my foot in the door, um, not just with the Army Corps. I applied probably through the um, USA Jobs to many jobs, um, engineering positions. And I was only able to come up with an engineer technician position. And that was a fallback for me to say, you know what, I just need to get my foot in the door. And so that was why I ended up coming in as an engineer tech and once got in was able to actually, you know, step up to the engineering. I'd say that was one of the larger challenges that I faced, honestly, after getting the degree. And that was hard enough by itself. Thank you, Erica. That brings me to a very important question. Um, what advice does everyone have for women that are joining the core today? What advice do you have to get your foot in the door or to get a seat at that table to make decisions that impact the whole of the organization? I guess one of the things that I think that is important for women to do is to like find their group of other women in their organization or in their field. You know, the idea that, you know, you find your peeps, find your pack, whatever it is, but you know, a lot of research has shown that women who have a broad inner circle of other women rise in the organization more quickly or are more effective at rising in the organization. And so I think that that has made a world of difference for me to find other women in our organization that can 
you know, help me see myself in supervisory positions that can tell me, you know, what they've been through, that can listen to me complain um, and encourage me when I need encouragement. So I think that that is a super important thing. And, you know, equally important, you know, finding a mentor and an advocate to are, are also very important. Yeah, and I would just build on that. I think it's really important, especially for females coming into the workforce, to, to be their own advocate, to feel empowered. You know, so much in our organization, we have a lot of opportunities out there. You know, we have mentorship programs, we have developmental assignments, but they all require the individual to take that first step. And so, you know, it's really important to be open to opportunities and, and be enthusiastic and energetic when you get those opportunities, but it all comes back to being your own advocate, taking that first step and being a champion for yourself. Carrie, that reminds me of something that someone had given me advice one day and that's don't count yourself out. Uh, if you're interested in that opportunity or a promotion, even if you have that self doubt, put your name in the hat. You never know what will happen and try your best and you know, keep moving forward. But if you never even go for it, you never know what possibilities are out there. That's right, Courtney. I hear a lot of females especially will say that they don't want to apply for things unless they know they'll be successful. And that's really a mentality that we have to break. You have to be open to getting into a position, learning and evolving and trust that if you're, for, if you're selected for that position, people feel the confidence that you have the ability to evolve to what you need to be to be successful. I just agree with the, I, I agree with the ideas that have been presented, um, you know, being your own advocate, finding others in the workplace that you can actually, you know, have the sheepack kind of thing. The idea for me though is, you know, when I came here, truly I wasn't necessarily expecting to be the only female I knew it was not probably going to be a lot of uh, females. I was working in the metals unit. So with welders and with the machinists. And so I wasn't expecting there to be a lot of females. Actually, it turned out I was the only female. So that was, a, it wasn't really a surprise at all. However, I think that I entered with the idea that, okay, you know, be prepared to do anything they ask you to do within reason. Be prepared to show how hard you're willing to work and that you really want to learn. And be honest about what it is that I know how to do and what I don't know how to do because honestly, safety is a part of this as well. And so for me, when I had the opportunity to sponsor a female that came in as an intern, I passed along some of those same things, largely because we weren't necessarily going for the leadership positions but definitely because they were going, we were going into fields where definitely they were um, male dominated. And in these cases where they were the only, she's going to be the only female there. So I recommended that she know, it, know what it is that she's capable of, know her own limitations, and don't be afraid to ask questions you know, those types of things to try to really bring her into the, the group and so, uh, and be a part of the team. But again, it's been a positive experience at this particular point with how uh, people have welcomed and been willing to teach. So that would be kind of my experience of, of it. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a little twist here as far as 
uh, the conversation. There's great stuff that you guys have put out. Let, let me ask you something. This past year has been a challenge for all of us. In that, uh, in an earlier uh, podcast, uh, we discussed how the pandemic has caused a number of women to leave the workforce, you know, the, the workplace. How do you think the past year, this past year, uh, has impacted equality in the workplace? And uh, Carrie, we'll, we'll just start with you. Right, and, and like you said, Donnell, I mean, I think, I think I heard it referred to as a she session at some point, but there were, um, as, as families with school-aged children or, or families with caregiving responsibilities, you know, the pandemic put them in a really tough situation and they had to make some, some hard choices in those families. And so there were a lot of women that left the workforce and it is a pretty extraordinary time. So it's hard to know if, if there's a, a long last, I mean, I think it's too early to say if there's a long lasting impact uh, to that. But, but the fact is when you lose numbers, you take a step backwards in, in that attempt at equality. And so I think it's really important for us as an agency going forward that we're thinking about supporting our families, supporting our employees, so that they feel strong and encouraged to come back into the workforce and that they have the flexibilities at their disposal so that they can do that. And also I think I've heard a lot of talk about people who've just quit their jobs, reevaluated re what's important to them, what's meaningful to them. So I think that that's another element you know, we do work that matters. We impact, uh, have the ability to have such a positive impact on people's lives. And so I think if we can combine that mission, flexibility, you know, we really can encourage people to come back strong into the workforce as we move forward. To build on that, I would say, um, I think that there are small things that have affected us and, and also larger things, you know, clearly, with the women, they showing that women are taking on more of those homeschooling roles and caring for their kids while they're in the virtual environment. How that might affect women's careers moving forward. We're bringing our coworkers and our supervisors into our house and they're seeing us interact with our kids. And in, in doing that, you know, they see that you're a parent and, you know, you're a worker. And so I, I wonder if that might have, you know, more long-term impacts where they see, you know, the women as being a mom and an employee where they don't, where they see the men's primary role as their employee. Jody, do you think that um, when your opinions are shared from a, you know, female perspective that they're taken seriously or as seriously as your male counterparts at the upper levels of the organization? I do now. Yeah, I'm a branch chief in an organization, and so, you know, I feel like most of the time they are taken seriously. I can tell you a couple situations recently, you know, like within the last six months, you know, where I had an idea and floated it out there, and then the idea came up another, and nobody, like, took it and ran with it, and the idea came up, and it was a male's idea, and that was just the greatest thing in the world and we went with it. So it, I think it happens less often now based on my, my current position, but it does occasionally happen. And I know other women in our organization and even men in our organization, you know, see it and recognize that happening. 
Yeah. So as far as equality in the workplace um, and the impact from last year, from 2020, I, I agree with regards to the child care issue and hampering the ability to return to work. But I think that another piece of things that really has stood out for me again has been what has been considered essential work. We can throw out anything from teacher, childcare worker, you know, caregiver, home health people, to the nurses and, you know, grocery workers, you know, any number of those. And uh, you will find that a lot of times lower wage paying jobs actually are held by women uh, who are also trying to raise a family. And so in my mind, 2020 has had the impact of at least raising awareness of what that looks like, what essential looks like. And hopefully it will mean a um, commensurate pay to those essential jobs and how important they are for any of us to be able to go to work and feel like we can count on the fact that our children are in fact getting the support that they need, that our loved ones who are homebound are in fact getting the health care that they need. So any range of those things. So for me, um, 2020 mostly has stood out as honestly confirming for me that what I did before was not a lesser job and not somehow comparing it to mechanical engineering, because I think I can be as successful in both. But just honestly, it confirmed for me something that I couldn't put my finger on prior. And, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to some extent that that came forward. So, so let me ask this. I, I would like to think that we're striving every day to, to get to some type of equality, but what gaps do we have to achieving equality right now? I think there are some things. We have some traditional barriers for, for women in the workforce, you know, childcare, the expensive childcare, our flexibilities at work. We're starting to make a little progress with paid parental leave, with MaxiFlex telework to kind of remove some of those physical barriers. Uh, for women in STEM careers, it's, it's a bit of a numbers thing. I mean, I think to help grow and help evolve as an organization, we have to see a, a, a consistent stream of women in leadership positions, not just one or two that happen to make it through. And in the STEM career field, specifically in engineering, female numbers have been have plateaued at 20% since I was in college. We just haven't extended that. And so when you have 20% representation isn't really enough to come into an organization and have that consistent stream of, of women in leadership so that everyone who comes into the organization can look up and see that they have opportunities and that they'll be taken seriously. So I, I think that, that's one of the biggest challenges, just overcoming that presence so that we have, we can see consistent leadership from women in the organization. Thank you, Carrie. Looking at the MD715 report, I know in the St. Paul district last year, there was about the same 20% um, representation of women in the organization. And across UCSAFE, if you look at the new tool that CPAC has put out on the website where you can analyze some of these workforce statistics, it's also been noted that we have about, you know, in the low 20% of, you know, women and applying to work for the Corps of Engineers. So, like you were saying, it, it starts before 
just modeling. It's very important to have a model um, and see women in leadership roles within the organization so that, you know, if you, if you are working at USAFE, you know that you're going to be represented and likely, you know, you'll have an opportunity to succeed in that organization. We also have to figure out new ways of recruiting women in STEM specific positions and engaging more in schools early on? I wouldn't necessarily say just STEM. I mean, because I've come in through the um, metal shops and had an opportunity to work with the trades, I think that recognizing that across the board, whether that's in STEM in terms of the science technology kind of thing or in engineering, that it also includes the trades. And Rick, I, I think that for a lot of women, honestly, and girls, you know, growing up that we are not exposed to. So I think you're correct. Uh, there's some ideas that actually I'd thrown around with some others here. And it had to do with, obviously there used to be a sponsorship of an elementary school as an example, by that it was mentioned to me. And I don't know which school it was, but getting an opportunity to see women actually in the field and at USACE as an example, I think opens the door to, ah, oh, so this is another thing that I can look at as a possible career field. I think also realistically, even if we don't go back to the kids and we look at women right now who are working multiple jobs to be able to make, you know, meet the needs of their uh, financial needs, that basically if we even look at some of these trades, they could actually have a single job and pay, actually be able to realistically pay their bills. And I don't think that women even know what those pay. They don't know what the job actually looks like. And as a result, they shy away from it, largely because they don't know what it's going to require. And there is a work-life balance that's wonderful that I've experienced up to this point with regards to uh, the organization. And so I think that those are some of the things that they're looking for. And exposure becomes the, like one of those primary pieces uh, that would actually open the door for them to come in. And I'll stop there and let somebody else jump in. Thanks, Erica. You know, uh, I know here in the Memphis district, our, our numbers kind of like according to what you're saying. I mean, we're like uh, at 21% women. So let, let me let me ask you all, uh, we talked about recruitment earlier. Are you ladies involved in recruitment? Are you guys participating in career fairs and, and whatnot, or would you even be interested in doing that? I'm just curious about that. This is Jody. I, I have done a couple career fairs, and I want to do a little more of that, you know, with our regional universities that have a fish and wildlife biology program. I have been involved in selection panels, both for uh, leadership roles and for, you know, new hires that we have coming in as biologists. I think when we're doing that, you know, it's important when we're recruiting people that if I'm on a, you know, if I'm applying for a job with the Corps of Engineers and I'm a female, you know, if the panel that I'm interviewing with is, you know, all men except for like a one token female, that kind of tells me something about, you know, what the organization is like. And so I think that if we want to recruit women into our organization, we also have to show them um, diversity on that panel, you know, beyond just being like, well, we do have one woman, so we're good to go. I think that's an important part of recruiting. 
Thank you, Jody. That's very important. Does anybody else, you know, see the value in mentoring, either informal or formal mentoring? Um, when I was new in my career, one of the best advice that someone ever had given me is find somebody in the organization that you look up to and um, who's a, a woman and informally introduce yourself and um, just ask some questions. And that informal interview provided a lot of information that helped me to navigate that organization very successfully and um, really set me up um, on my career path. Does anybody else have a, you know, a similar story or ideas about the importance of mentorship? This is Jody. I think uh, mentorship is super important. And I'll just put it out there. If anybody is looking for a female mentor, here I am. Give me a call. That said, I think, you know, mentoring is important, but advocating for people is also important. And past mentors that I have had have, um, you know, Carrie was saying, like, go for it. You have to be your own advocate. But I do think that we also need to advocate for the women in our organization. And so they can help see themselves in a bigger position or a leadership role. So, you know, it's not just them saying, oh, do I want to apply for the section chief's job? But it's, you know, 10 years ago where their supervisor said, hey, you know, have you thought about being a, a section chief? Is that a route you want to go? I think you bring this skill set. What do you think about this? And then also helping them, you know, and helping that organization see them in the role. So mentoring is important, um, but I think the advocating part super important too. You know, I, I think a really important point was looking for someone you look up to and reaching out to them. And I think a lot of people sometimes rely on their supervisor to do that kind of work. And certainly the supervisor should be an advocate and a champion for their employees, but they aren't always aligned well on the experience or uh, of the, that the individual is having. And so it's really important to, you want to have a good relationship with your supervisor, obviously, but when you're thinking about your mentors, um, expand who you're looking at or who you're considering. So this is Erica, and I had an opportunity to actually talk to some people because I've only been here seven months. I thought it would be good to get their perspective. And one of the things that came back was sort of the idea of almost a commercial but it was a commercial that actually showed women in the roles that they are, in fact, you know, um, uh, holding here at uh, the organization, whether that's someone that works the uh, crane, uh, which we have two on the Hurley as an example, or we have, you know, me working as an engineer, or, you know, but basically getting a chance to uh, see people, see women in the roles and positions that we're holding so that that becomes a way to allow younger people and other women who might even, you know, not think of uh, the organization as a, it becoming an opportunity or an option for them. I would say that that's one of the things, exposure again for me, I didn't realize the organization existed, honestly. I lived in Memphis, I've only lived in Memphis, and I didn't know you all were here. It took my sister, who worked for a federal government agency, saying, go on USA Jobs, see if there's anything federal that you can apply for. So this was a, uh, something that opened up to me post-graduating, and it would have been wonderful to actually take opportunities as an intern 
And as an example, the young lady who did intern, she said that the only reason she actually applied was she was working at Home Depot and a supervisor suggested to her to go on the USA Jobs uh, site. So most people have no idea that this exists and they don't even know how to access it even once they find out that it does exist. That's an excellent point, Erica. I know I try to, you know, let friends and family know about USA Jobs and federal hiring opportunities. There are definitely a ton of them out there. I think that another very important aspect is we're talking about how do we break the barriers and how do we create equity in the workplace? And it has a lot to do with addressing unconscious bias. How does unconscious bias or does unconscious bias play a role in the hiring process? And you know, if we're looking at statistics of all of our applicants and comparing them and we're seeing that certain groups, either you know, applicants of color or females or something, this is part of the barrier analysis in our annual EEO MD 715 report. Um, if we're not seeing that same level of selections, you know, statistically, and if there is an underrepresentation, then we need to look at why is that. You know, unconscious bias training is certainly um, helpful. And I'll just throw this out there. When I have conducted these sorts of trainings in the past or participated in them myself as an EEO professional, uh, there's something called the Harvard Implicit Bias Test. Anybody, you can Google and you can take it yourself. And it will point out biases that you may have and just help you to be aware of them so that you can apply that to your everyday work life. And, you know, I would just, you know, bring it back to being accountable for your actions and um, helping out others. Um, and I'm going to turn it over to Danelle on this one to close it out. <laughs> I think we've come a long way since I started, but I feel like we have a lot further to go. Um, if you look at the pictures of what our SDS cadre looks like, um, we still are mostly men and mostly white men. And so I, I do think that we have a long way to go there. You know, look at, if you look at the pictures of who our GPMs are, um, we still have a long way to go. And for me, when I sit in our um, project review board, when when, it, when I look and I, I see who's presenting, the majority of the people who are presenting at our at our PRB are men and white men. So we, we still have a long way to go, and it's you know it's the hiring part. It's like bringing you know women and having them see themselves in in the organization higher up. Um, it's giving giving the women a chance, and so I just think about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like, you know, when are there going to be enough women on the Supreme Court? You know, when it's all women, and so I think we'll know when we're there. When you look at our SDS cadre, and uh, white men are a minority of our SDS cadre, and when you look at our court boards at each of our districts, and you know, white men aren't the majority of those as well. And so I'm super hopeful, you know, but we have to keep pushing. We have to keep encouraging um, the women in our workforce and we have to, you know, really think about they are bringing, we are bringing something unique 
to our workforce and our leadership style. And we are good communicators, we are good engineers, and we make our organization better at all levels. I love your passion. It is inspiring. You know, I just want to say I don't think diversity will happen overnight, but if we continue to invest ourselves and continue to self-reflect you know, on things such as unconscious bias and, you know, pro be proactive in the way we recruit and train and hire and are sticking to what our policies say about diversity, inclusion, and equity, then I think we will be steering the agency in a much different direction for the future. Absolutely, absolutely, totally agree with you, uh, Courtney. One of the things that I tell people, uh, my, my supervisors and managers here is, you know, when you go and recruit, it's, it's just a matter of going to the places where the women are, where the people of color are. Uh, like you said, of course, it's not going to happen overnight, but if you increase that applicant pool. Then, hey, I want to thank you. Uh, thank you, Jody. Thank you, Carrie, Erica, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insight. To our listeners, we want to hear from you. What topics are important to you and the people you are interested in hearing from? Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together. Mm -hmm.